0: Welcome to another episode of It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. With winter still dragging on, it's easy to get wrapped up in the darkness and the cold and sad, listless feeling of being pulled along through the year. Everything seems on edge, the trees are creaking with bare branches, and the ice echoes when it snaps in the night. A perfect setup for ghost stories, right? While I won't argue with you, I do think that some of the stories we've gathered here today have a little more of a spark to them, particularly if you stick around right to the end. After all, even if things keep going bump in the night, that little jolt of fear in your chest is a reminder that you're here and you're alive. Right? I think it's reassuring in a way. But without further ado, ready to get spooked? Our first story today comes from Prior Knowledge 8956. They bring us a classic Ouija board story with a chilling outcome. This happened to me and my siblings when we were very young, but the memory is very vivid. This was the most intense paranormal experience I've had in my life, and I just wanted to get it out there. To start, the house we lived in at the time was definitely haunted. My sister told me much later on that she would hear someone walking up the stairs and that a shadowy figure would stand in her doorway. I heard the steps back then, but I'd always assumed it was just her walking around. She said she hadn't told me because she didn't want to scare me. The house was very creepy at night, and I always felt a profound sense of being watched whenever I would pass certain spots. When I was 10, my big sister was 13 and our little brother was 8. I begged my sister to let us play with a little Ouija board keychain toy she had, because I was fascinated by ghosts and the supernatural. I wasn't scared of ghosts at all, in fact, I loved them a lot, and only thought they were interesting. It took a lot of convincing, but eventually my sister agreed to play with the board. We all sat down at the kitchen table, and my sister and I put our fingers on the planchette, asking if anyone was there. Immediately, the response was, yes. We spent a bit of time, of course, arguing over who was definitely moving it and asking a few other benign questions. After a bit, we started getting scared, so we said aloud, let's stop. The planchette immediately moved to, no. My sister and I quickly pulled our hands back. As soon as we did, we all heard a horrible screeching, one that didn't sound human at all. We each describe it a bit differently, but we all heard it. We ran to the other room, where we all sat huddled on the couch for a long time. Finally, I asked if anyone else heard that, to which we all just nodded. We stayed that way for hours until my dad came home. We didn't tell him about it, and nothing really came of it, but it was so terrifying that to this day, recalling it gives me chills. I have to say, when I read that the board answered no when you asked to stop, every hair on the back of my neck stood up. I would have shouted goodbye and walked away right then, of course after cleansing the board. but. You probably didn't know to do that. Now, I'm glad nothing came of this event. We all know from stories we've heard on this show before that things can turn out much, much worse. Our next story is from Morphosi with a strange encounter with an unknown creature late at night. I live in Virginia, in a pretty rural area. My house is a townhome in a neighborhood right next to a middle school. I lived in this house for over 10 years and frequently went on walks during the daytime all around the neighborhood, including the surrounding buildings and woods, but I've never gone on a walk at night here. After starting college, I got very accustomed to taking walks around my campus at night when the weather was nice. So, now that I'm home for winter break and Virginia is in one of its weirdly warm winter weeks, I decided I may as well go on a walk at night here, since it's a safe area and night walks are almost a daily routine for me now. I left my house at around midnight. I headed over to the middle school and sat down on the concrete running track in the back field to relax and listen to some music in the one earbud I had in my ear. I lit a candle on the ground in front of me, which I know sounds strange, but it's a habit I've picked up from college where I'm unable to light them in my dorm room, so I just take them outside. Nearby, I heard what sounded like a cough. Pausing my music, I looked around, but didn't see anything. Still, I'm an extremely paranoid person, so I was still very on edge, even though everything seemed fine. I sat there doing nothing for maybe two or three minutes before starting to settle back down, thinking maybe what I'd heard was just the leaves hitting the concrete track nearby as they fell. A bit of time passed, and I heard the cough again. Suddenly, I saw something on its back hind legs sprint across the field faster than I'd ever seen anything move before. It got to the other side of the field and then continued to stand there on its hind legs. I couldn't see very well since it was dark and far away, but I initially thought it was a person, since I thought I'd heard coughing, and it was running on two legs. When it was standing still, however, it was too large and weirdly proportioned to be human. It was screeching the whole time. It was a weird, loud, horror-movie-creature-type screeching that made my ears ring. It seemed to have its back to me, so I took my change and ran home, faster than I ever could remember running in my entire life. I immediately started texting my friends about this strange event, and googling everything I could. The only paranormal creatures I believe in are ghosts. Surely this had a rational explanation. Everyone I texted reassured me that it was likely a deer that was injured or diseased, since that can make them act strange like that. While it was reassuring to hear that, nothing I could find online of similar instances came even close to what I'd seen. I'm honestly not sure if it was a deer at all. Okay, so the curious side of me wants to Google exactly what a deer running on its hind legs looks like, but after hearing about your encounter, I'm also not positive that I want to see that or I want to know. So I'm not sure how I'd react if I met something like that out in the wild, but I can promise that I would not be calm, and running home honestly seems like it was the best solution. Our next story is from Braxton, bringing us a strange, unexplainable experience in their house that terrified them. I sleep in the basement of a one-story house out in the country. About three years ago, my mom and I first started to hear noises. We had let the dog out around midnight, and when we were letting him back in, we heard a strange sound that no animal could make. It sounded like a large cat had its throat slit. It was like an unsettling, gurgling meow. My mom and I immediately stopped talking and looked outside to see if we could find the source of the noise. Of course, there was nothing there. The next incident happened a few months later, when I was sleeping just outside my room, because the futon I was temporarily using wouldn't fit through the doorway. It was late at night, and I was just watching TV when I heard what sounded like someone moving things around just outside of the laundry room. The layout of my basement is pretty open, so from where I was, I could see nearly everything, except the laundry room. I thought maybe someone had come downstairs to get something out of the freezer, so I went back to watching TV. A few seconds later, I heard someone walking around barefoot. The floor is concrete, so the sound was pretty distinct. I sat up thinking someone was going to turn the corner, when the walking became the sound of someone running at full sprint. I heard the footsteps run directly past me, but no one was there. The footsteps disappeared into our unfinished bathroom and then suddenly stopped. After that incident, my dog started refusing to come downstairs. Shortly afterwards, I experienced my first and last sleep paralysis episode in that basement. I heard those same footsteps before a human-like figure, entirely pitch black, crawled towards me on all fours and got directly in my face before disappearing under the futon. Terrifying. The final incident happened probably three or four months later when I was finally sleeping back in my room properly. I was laying in bed when I heard those same footsteps again. This time, it sounded like they were running around aimlessly. After a solid minute of this, they stopped in front of my door, and it went quiet for a few seconds. Then my doorknob began to jiggle back and forth. I've never had such a sense of dread as I did in that moment, and I've never been so scared in my life. I ran to my door, grabbed the knob, and sat with my back against the door, holding it closed with my body weight. I even risked a glance under the gap beneath the door, but there was nothing there. After about a half hour, I finally gathered the courage to move, and nothing happened. There was still nothing under the door. I slept with a steel bar that night. Since then, nothing else major has happened. Still, sometimes I go back into my room and close the door. But when I turn around, the door will be open again. It sounds like you've got a bit of an uninvited guest. I'm so glad that the sleep paralysis incident was really the first and last time you experienced that. When I get these stories and somebody describes their experience with sleep paralysis, it always terrifies me. And I always think, like, this is the night something like this is going to happen to me. And I hope, hope Hope that it never does, because these stories freak me out. And to couple it with what you've been experiencing would just be a horrible cherry on top of that crap cake. Now, I would have slept with the steel bar anyways, but after that incident, particularly so. Our next story is a bit of a different flavor. Dave1066 comes to us with a tale of a premonition that they fully believed saved their life. As a student in the late 90s, I was asked to take part in the last UK University pistol shooting competition at Beisley Camp, home of Britain's largest competitive shooting complex. I wasn't keen on it, as the Dunblane massacre had put a grim slant on things, and pistols were about to be permanently banned. With a significant amount of peer pressure, I agreed to go along. A minibus would take the team up, we'd have the competition, come home, and go to the pub afterwards for a laugh. The night before the competition, I had a crystal-clear dream of a white Ford Capri and a horrible accident. A row of four orange-leafed trees, a broken axle. A Scottish woman with a small black dog asking if I was alright. I woke up that morning to be told our minibus booking had fallen through, and some guy called Luke would drive the four of us. I didn't know the guy, had never met him, never heard of him, knew nothing about him or his car, and had never been to Bisley. Luke was just a friend of a team member doing us a favor. Yet when he arrived, he was wearing the red jacket, black jeans, and a blue baseball cap of the person I'd seen in my dream. When he turned up at our halls of residence in a white two-door Ford Capri, both myself and the friend I told about the dream essentially went pale and refused to get in the car. Luke was baffled. "'Guys, you're being ridiculous. I had it serviced last month. It's old, but it's fine.' "'Nah, man,' I said. "'The front axle of that car is—' "'What? The axle is fine.' Luke was indignant and pissed off because we were late. Getting into the car, he threw it up and down the driveway a few times, slamming on the brakes to prove they worked, and barking at us to get in because we were late. The day goes fine. Competition ends. We're all in high spirits.' Afterwards, we get in the car, and idiot Luke decided to speed up the main road out of the camp. Just as I screamed to stop the damn car, I wanted to get out. There was an almighty pop, followed by screeching as the car veered left into a row of four orange-leafed trees and came to a halt. What followed was lots of panic shouting and cursing. We got out of the car to find that the axle had snapped. A crowd gathered drawn by the noise and as i stood there shocked and shaken a small woman i felt i recognized came up and asked in a scottish accent if i was all right a small black terrier that she was walking sniffed absently near us when the double a man turned up he told us that if this had happened at speed on the motorway there's a good chance we'd all be dead we eventually got home via some ridiculous series of buses and I sat eating in silence in the dining hall with my friend, both of us too shaken to say anything. i described the whole thing to him that morning, and for several weeks afterwards he became quite distant, as though he mentally connected me with death itself. About a decade later we caught up, and the event came up in conversation. He found it much harder to talk about, but his comment has always struck me. He said that what i told him, and what occurred that morning, had forced him to see life in very different terms. Essentially, he'd have to face up to the possibility that there was more to this life than he was willing to consider. And that, it frightened him. He'd even had a few nightmares about it over the ensuing years. As he said, the sheer size of it all, and what it meant, has always scared me since then. I'm in my 40s now, and I find myself thinking about it ever so often. Well over 20 years later, I still find it very hard to describe what I truly feel about this incident. I just know that this life and this death are far larger than we can ever comprehend. To finish it all, a couple years ago I had to sit in the backseat of my brother's two-door car on a quick journey. For the first time in my life, I had what I now know is a panic attack and clearly linked to what I've just described. It was horrific and I will never sit in one of those ever again even thinking about it makes me slightly nauseous again. This stuff is buried very deep in our consciousness. Trust your dreams. (music) Stories like these are ones that sit with you, and I'm so glad that you shared yours. Our brains are capable of things that we still don't fully grasp the gravity of, So, I don't think it's outside of the scope of imagination to say that dreams can be premonitions. Especially when you hear stories like this. I'm so glad to hear that you all walked away safely. From the sounds of things, this could have been much worse. Trust your dreams, indeed. Our final story is one to leave a bright spark in your cold winter evenings. Unnerving orphan comes to us with the tale of a visitor who came to collect their grandmother so she wouldn't have to walk the path alone. Yesterday, my grandma, who I am very close to, passed away. She had had multiple major strokes in a single night and was suffering a major brain bleed doctors said 75% of her brain was damaged, and she would not wake up again. We made the decision to end life support as we knew it was what she would have wanted. I had always heard stories of people's dying loved ones sitting up before passing, or seeing the names of those that had died before, or even just opening their eyes and throwing their arms up. Since my grandma's brain activity was so limited, I knew there would be no such signs, no matter how much I wanted there to be and how I knew they'd comfort me. The ICU door for my grandma's room was very heavy and hard to unlatch, and it stayed closed for two days to give us some privacy with her. I struggled every time I had to open it, as you had to really push down to unlatch it. We were all sitting in her room, waiting for the end, when the door unlatched and opened. It swung open a good way pretty quickly, as if someone was opening it from the other side. We waited for a nurse to come in, but nobody was there. I got up and closed the door, making sure to push it hard into place so that it latched close. About five minutes later, we heard the hard sound of the door unlatching, and it swung open again with a significant amount of speed, stopping just short of slamming into a table. This time, we left it open. My mom and I checked the door very closely to see if it could have slid open on its own, or for some sort of sensor or button that could have been pressed to make it open. But there was nothing. Not an hour after the door opened, as if someone was coming in to see her or maybe to collect her, my grandma passed quietly, as if falling asleep. My mom and I are happy about how things turned out, knowing that someone had come in to walk her home. Now, I'm very close to my grandma, so this hit close to me. She's currently in the hospital with a broken hip, and so, you know, you get a little nervous. She's 86 years old, and this was such a sweet story. And I'm glad that the experience was able to bring comfort to you and your mother. Losing someone you're close with is never easy, but to know that your grandmother not only had you all around her when her time came, but also someone to guide her to the other side, that's something sweet as springtime. And no one can take that comfort away from any of you. And, of course, the show sends its condolences to you and your family. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. We thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now, or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance provided by Jesse Hawk. Writing assistance by Meg Williams. The official composer and audio smith for the show is Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkofDreams.com. Until next time. Did you hear that?